0: Welcome back, everybody, to Down the Rabbit Hole. This week, we're going to be discussing youth leadership, advocacy, and activism. I am Santino Camacho, and I was on the podcast before on youth advocacy and engagement way back in January of 2022.
1: This episode is the TCFB Team Takeover episode. And my name is No Molina, and I was on an episode December 2020 talking about Navigating Difficult Conversations.
2: Hi, I'm Vivian, and I'm super thankful to be back on this podcast. Last year, to honor Nita's Eating Disorder Awareness Week, I was on the episode Eating Disorders and Relationship Violence. I'm so happy and thankful to be back on the podcast. Since we are in Valentine's Day week, for our icebreaker today, I wanted to ask y'all, what is your ideal date location?
0: That's a good one. I don't know. I think for me, wow. I, you know, I grew up in the south in Texas, but more in that that West Texas kind of country area. So I'm always a sucker for the for the Glen Campbell Southern nights, you know, just out there with the you know, sunset grass, <laughs> some nice music. I think when it's just peaceful and you're out there just in nature, it it's so beautiful and it's unmatched, especially when you're away from lights and you can see the full sky with the stars. It doesn't get much better than that. So I think for me that's That's always the ideal location.
1: Yeah, for me, I'm going to have to agree with Sentino there that honestly, a clear sky with stars, that's honestly a perfect location for me. I'm kind of cliche with that. Just watching the stars, looking at clouds. Yeah, you know what? Looking at stars is my ideal location, honestly.
2: I absolutely love that. And I am with y'all. I love a beautiful sunset. And my ideal place would be in Austin, Texas at the Domain at Sweet Paris, because one, I just love crepes and it's such a cute little romantic place. And then afterwards, being able to like look at the sunset and then go shopping at the Domain, that's just like the perfect evening for me.
0: And, you know, speaking on icebreakers, you know, uh, out here in Texas, it's been incredibly cold, so we could use definitely a, a lot of icebreaking for sure, but on that, Vivian, you know when when the ice did break and everything got cleared up, I was actually at the domain this past weekend, kind of around that area, doing some shopping. Had my girlfriend with me. It was a really great time. So I was kind of kind of enjoying that. Uh, hopefully, you can you can enjoy it through my experience as well. It's a lot of fun if you guys haven't haven't been the domain in Austin. It is a wonderful wonderful place to spend an afternoon. But getting back into the podcast, you know, this is going to be over youth advocacy and engagement. And this may include some sort of topics out there. So I just want to go ahead and put out this little trigger warning in the beginning just to let you know that if any topic comes up that maybe you're not comfortable with or you need to take a break, don't worry, don't fret. Just go out, get a snack. We'll be here when you come back. And we'd love to continue this conversation with you. On that, I guess moving on to the first thing we want to talk about is for young leaders, there's a lot of them. But it's a unique position to be in. I think a lot of people traditionally see leaders as as more adults or older, and in these positions of ordering and this kind of top-down model. And I think the benefits of youth leadership is it really reverses that. But that also comes with its drawbacks. And so I think one of the biggest things we have is the challenges of being a young young leader, and the you know the different perspectives, but also you know the hardships that it can bring. So I you know just kind of looking at at Viv and Noah, just you know as young leaders, as people who have kind of been in this field for a bit, what are some of those challenges that you've seen? Well, honestly,
1: some of the challenges I see are I had to say criticism and resistance from those that we're trying and lead against in a sense. Like for example, youth dating not many take that topic seriously. So when we advocate against or for it we're seen as like not taken seriously or you know, people just reflect it as a not serious topic, you know? Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, I completely agree with that. I think some challenges I have faced is the fact that I have been in prevention work for years now, so I've surrounded myself with people I've truly, like, believed in me, and anytime I spoke out, it was always very encouraged by my peers, and then kind of stepping out into, like, the other side of the world where people aren't always familiar with prevention and youth advocates and speaking up, kind of just like facing backlash from adults. And instead of it being taken as like youth advocacy, it being taken as like attitude. And then them just thinking like it's like teens thinking that they know everything when really it's just like we're advocating for ourselves and our rights. So I think definitely some challenges I have seen is from others who aren't as supportive about young people using their voices. How about you, Santino?
0: Yeah, I think, I think backlash is common. You know, we were talking about when I was on the podcast last. And I like to bring it up here because I think it is, it's is—it's really insightful under the challenges of being a young leader. And it, it's a course in perspective. The biggest issues that we have today are those drawbacks and those, those backlash that comes from, uh, you know, just two different perspectives. Is You have this one, this kind of youth generation who I think when, when, you know, we, we take things, we have a different approach. We usually try to bring in different things in our experiences and our pop culture and our, our medium. We really try to wrap this all together into this combined narrative. And then I think on the other side, you have adults and the more traditional centric idea of what leadership is. And so you have folks who have been waiting their turn and wanting to lead or, or, or wanting to be seen as leaders. And suddenly they're facing a lot of pushback from this younger generation or what they see as pushback. And then we feel like we're taking pushback from them. So I think at least on situations where you agree, you can use that kind of perspective to really to think about things in a different way. And I guess like a story I always tell is is the chicken story. And it, it's a story about my my grandfather when he was little. He grew up in the 50s and 60s and he always had to get his plate last. All the adults in the family got their plate first and they always got the big, nice pieces of chicken and he got the scraps. And then flash forward to when he is their age and he's in his his 50s and 60s, the paradigm changed. And now the idea is when he got up to eat, suddenly it was the kids got to eat first and the kids were always getting the nice stuff and he never got that. And so he felt like he was on the losing in both times. And so I think that there's that perspective there. And when you're a youth leader, one of the challenges is to overcome that perspective is that, you know, you kind of have to reach out and talk to folks who are, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years older, and then, you know, five, six, seven years younger and kind of bridge that gap of being a voice for youth and also trying to, you know, connect with different generations. Because at the end of the day, we all have the same goals in mind. We all want to do the same thing. And so it's about how do you bridge that divide? You know, Viv you talked about, you know, these instances where you stepped out of that zone and, you know, you kind of left, I guess what we could call it, our little TCFV wonderful bubble uh, into the real world and you face some pushback. Do you guys have any examples on hand that you think about, that kind of ring in your head when you think about the challenges of being a leader, like these examples, kind of that moment when you realize, like, ah, you know, I gotta gotta push a little bit harder. Like, you know, this is not how it used to be, and I, I you know, when that, that I guess you could say, though, we're not in Kansas anymore. Moment when you realize that you kind of have to to break through something that maybe wasn't there before. Do you have any examples like that on him? Well,
1: for me, I do have one example. It was, I have to say. Back in high school during my senior year, I was facing backlash for wearing a a mask with a rainbow flag on it and such. And that was at the moment that I learned, like, I'm not really in that TCFV bubble anymore where I'm comfortable with everybody and everyone's accepting. So whenever I faced backlash for the mask, it showed me, it's like, oh, okay, there's definitely a gap between me and the older adults that are like making me take off my mask and such and so with that experience i kind of got to grow my leadership skills by in a sense fighting back fighting back the adults and with that experience i've grown to use that lesson and just put in my everyday life skills
2: Yeah, no, whenever you said that, I specifically remember like, those moments and talking to you about that. And I still want to say I'm so proud of you and how much you really spoke up and stood up for yourself, because that was really, really amazing. And seeing your strength and resilience through that was just a really beautiful experience. My example would be was actually kind of surprising. So I am 17. And I am still in high school. So the crowd that I work with, they're all adults. And so I'm actually the youngest one at my job. And so once people kind of find out my age, it's kind of like a joke about like, oh, yeah, that's the child. And that joke kind of rotated like some people like they genuinely are joking about it. And then other people kind of don't take me as serious because I'm younger. And there's been situations where the adults there just weren't acting in a position like that they are, like they weren't being as professional. And I kind of spoke up about that because that wasn't right. And I was advocating for myself. And with that, I didn't realize with how much advocating for myself would offend people or like would like upset people. And so while navigating through that, like I really struggled because I didn't really know if I like should have been using my voice in that situation. And it really made me like second guess if I was in the wrong for speaking up about it and if it was just something I should have stayed silent about but in the true fashion Vivian I had some really amazing adults in my life who kept pushing me and I found my inner voice and I was like no this is wrong and I will continue to speak out about it so yeah just situations like that where I didn't realize I would be facing them and then I end up facing them and then you're in that situation it's like wow like I'm not in my TCFV family where everyone's just so comforting and like so safe to be around you know
0: no and I I think that that's that's really insightful you know just this kind of advocacy and stuff it exists in the workplace it exists at school it exists in these so many different facets of our lives and you kind of have to be always aware you kind of have to always and it's always that pushback right do I use my voice do I not use my voice who's on my side who's not and I think that's interesting when we talk about you know adults and that the challenges and facing that kind of backlash from people with that generational divide but Let's take that away for a second. Have you guys, you know, I I know I I do a little bit, ever had pushback maybe from your own peer group or maybe people in your grade, like-minded youth, who when you try to take on a more of a leadership role, you you see a little bit of a backlash coming, not from a different generation, but maybe even your own generation.
1: Yeah, I'd have to say I had some pushback from my own little support group when that situation was happening. They were advising me to... Tate what they call the low road in a sense. In the situation with the school, I wanted to keep it private, you know, no social media, no nothing, but they were the opposite. And every time I suggested that we do it quietly, they would suggest otherwise. And eventually, you know, I, I, we kept it quiet and I kind of fought back against their advisement, but yeah, I faced a little pushback from my own people too.
2: Yeah, I completely get that, Noah. I think within like my own peers around my age, I think some back, not really backlash, but some things that I face is just like them not believing in themselves or our generation. I've had comments like, why are you speaking about that? Like, it's not going to change anything. And just like my peers not having like the faith that we can be the change by using our voice. And so really also like on my end, really just trying to like, push and show them that like, if we do use our voices, we can be the change that this world needs.
0: And I think those are just really, I think, like I said, two interesting examples, uh, especially in, in this kind of line of work, right? Of, I think that specifically you talked about being the change that this world needs. It, it can be tough, I think, to overcome that, especially when it's from people you, whether they're adults or children, I think we see it both, that you respect, you care about, you want their opinion, but at the very least you want them to respect you. As an adult, you want them to see you as a leader. You want them to see you as a person and not just maybe as a child. Those are kind of, you know, we look at those like challenges. I think they're unique to youth leadership. But does that provide an avenue for growth? Uh, you know, these are those unique experiences. And I always like to say that we are shaped and molded by our experiences. So maybe that these wouldn't have happened had you been, you know, this in this model of conventional leadership. But do you think that there may have been kind of positives to four or for people early on learning these skills, being able to advocate for themselves, being able to seek their form of justice, you know, from an early age and, and cultivating that that repertoire that, that hopefully then leads to, to leadership, whether it be in advocacy or in, in something else?
1: Honestly, I do believe people have been able to form their own leadership skills with the pushback that they receive. And I'm sorry if this doesn't answer your question. I may have done the question itself a bit. But I keep referring back to the mask story, but, you know, it's really helped the students that were there after me, after I graduated, to fight back on their own. You know, they they saw what happened with the mask. They were a part of that as well. And so whenever they saw that I and my friends were able to go against the people that were pushing us, they saw that as a way to, you know, raise their own voice, fight back for themselves. And so, you know, even if they face backlash, they have been able to fight back and form leadership skills.
2: Yeah, I completely agree with Noah. And I honestly feel like whenever we speak out and if we may receive backlash for that, I think us continuing to fight against that backlash honestly creates like the butterfly effect where like, if people see that one individual spoke out and they receive backlash, but they continue to fight against it, I believe other individuals are inspired by that and that generations to come after us will continue to speak out and they won't be silenced by anything. I mean, even just with my work situation that I was talking about, after I spoke out, there had been other workers that had been coming forward too with the same exact issue. And it was like, I'm okay if like I receive that backlash, if that means more people can speak out and tell their stories and just be their truest authentic self and use their voices and people learning that their voices do have power. And I work with younger kids too. Like I'm also a babysitter and the things I always tell the kiddos is like, use your voice. If if something is not right, like it's okay to use your voice. And just like also being able to inspire younger generations is such a beautiful thing too. Also with that.
0: And on that, the movement, any movement really, is is predicated on, on that idea of using your voice and, and gaining those skills. And but let's talk about ways that we could put those skills to youth. You know, Noah, Viv and I, you know, we've all worked with TCFE for years and in, in different capacities and gotten to do some amazing things. And, you know, I don't want to speak for all of us, but I think I can say that that this movement, especially in Teen Dating Violence Awareness Month, does not kind of define itself by any one group. You know, there are folks out there who, it, it's a movement of broad cultures, faiths, religions, and, you know, identities, and it's such a wonderful thing. And I think that also lends the idea of this this new kind of leadership. And so as people who've worked in this and also are intersectional with being, you know, what we consider young leaders, what role do do you think young leaders have and, and can play in the future of a movement, especially when it comes for advocating things like, you know, teen dating violence, awareness, month, domestic violence. Uh, and sexual assault? You know, where do you see the unique role and and niche for for these young leaders?
1: I'd have to say the connection that we have with the other youth. I mean, in all these movements, you see the adults taking charge, which is good, you know? They're getting other adults in on the movement and helping it grow stronger. But sometimes the youth, young people cannot connect with adults. You know, we need like younger people like us, for example, to lead movements and grow connections with both the young people and the adults. And, you know, in future movements, if you have both adults and young adults, then really the whole movement can just grow into one large, well, I guess, movement, you know?
2: Yeah, I think especially when it comes to Teen Dating Violence Awareness Month, we kind of have an upper hand because we are teens and we are the youth. And so we're able to educate our peers on what teen dating violence is, what healthy love is, what love should be, and what love is not. So I think really whenever it comes to Teen Dating Violence Awareness Month, we are able to educate each other and the youth like no others can, because we are the ones going through this currently. And we know, we know how teens are. So we're able to explain it to them in a way that maybe adults can't reach the youth audience. And also along the lines of Teen Dating Violence Awareness Month, I think us talking about ideas that we can, as youth leaders, how we can affect our communities in positive ways. I know, a couple years ago, I did a teen dating violence awareness walk. And being a part of the TCFV team as region representatives, we all did something special for Teen Dating Violence Awareness Month to honor survivors and victims. Santino, what did you do for your community event?
0: So I kind of want to preface this by saying, you know, Teen Dating Violence Awareness Month is it's such a, know, this, this large encompassing topic because it can be a lot of things. You know, I think we talk about dating violence, domestic violence, and sexual assault. In teen dating violence, it kind of wraps all that up. So you really have to take a multifaceted this approach. But, you know, I've been blessed and I've been lucky. You know, my mom is the executive director at a crisis center. So I guess from an early age, and that's how I even got started in TCFB, is, is from that early age, working with her and kind of kind of learning from her. And I remember one of the things that we did during this time, a little bit before, was first we did uh, in RIPFest. And I was on that booth, working that booth. And, you know, I think we can talk about the benefits of youth leaders here. And saying that there was so many more teens who actually came up to the booth when they saw me because, that you know, I grew up in a small town, so everyone knows each other at the high school. Right. And so these kids are coming up to this booth that I'm working and we're having conversations. We're engaging in this conversation. And so these are folks who may have not, not stopped by to talk to two adults, but they see someone they know, they see a face they recognize, especially in their age group. And suddenly you've opened up this conversation. Suddenly there's this, you know, whether they're a football star, a cheerleader, they do drama, they do band, they're talking with you. And, you know, you hand them a pamphlet and you kind of, you know, just tell them just a little bit about, you don't have to go too far in detail, but you've started building that bridge there. You've cracked the door open. And then when my mom comes and does presentations, they are more receptive because they go, well, you know, they can attach a youth leader to the movement. Even if it's an adult giving the message, they still have that idea of a youth leader. And then, you know, next year, and you just keep reinforcing that, and suddenly you're starting to see the sprouting of seeds for, for youth leaders of their own. You know, I know kids who started out just coming to that booth and, and we talked to them and, and now they're kind of standing up for healthy relationships, even when they're not realizing, it, you know, in these conversations with their friends. And they have, in, in some cases, even referred friends to this crisis center just to, to say like, hey, look, you know, I know the science. I learned about this and I want to say that this isn't right. I want to advocate for you and here's how you can get help. And then I think one of the best moments I ever remember was around this time, the February was going to the Capitol on those Capitol days and getting to speak on that. And I think it always bears a unique weight coming from a small town. I got to speak on the event and this, the speech itself didn't really, it wasn't wasn't the big part was just the idea that I could go back to my community. And, you know, I remember the school did a thing for it. I I talked to the school board they played the video and it was so odd because, because I was a youth and because I was in that high school. Now there's a school board and people listening to my speech and whether or not they fully understood all of it, that's so many more people you're bringing into the movement just because, you know, it's the idea that youth were maybe if I was an adult, it wouldn't have even got the time of day. And so those are, I guess, a couple of things that I really, when I think about youth leadership and I think about especially teen dating violence awareness months, but just something that I think youth we've talked about can really capitalize on. I always think about bringing that and it makes me smile and it makes me hope, kind of be hopeful about this idea that. You know, whether you're in a small town, big city, uh, no no matter where you're at, you always have a place in your community to make a difference. Just small things, whether your community's 10 people, 100 people, 1,000 people, you know, never underestimate the power of just maybe what your one experience can do. Telling your story over and over and over again, and eventually just opening those doors and bringing people into the movement. And that's how you make change. I think as a student leader, we have that unique spot to tell our story. And we've talked a lot about the challenges of being a youth leader. And particularly when we talk about pushback, you know, pushback from our peers, pushback from adults, let's transition the conversation because we we mentioned uh, generational divides and bridging that and how to bridge that. And so I think as as young leaders in this movement, how do you best see that maybe adults could ally with uh, student leaders uh, to kind of work together to really bridge that change? I would say probably, and just thinking about, you know, especially in the course of TCFV, we work with adults, we work with youth, you know, where do you What are some tips you could give adults if they're wanting to know how they can be an ally to youth leaders in any kind of movement? So honestly, for me, the way I see that
1: (laughs) adults can help the youth or student leaders in general is simply just listen. Actually take time to listen to the students, either the student leaders or just the student body in general. Because, you know, as youth, sometimes we're not really listened to. It's just, you know, blown off as, again, as Vivian said, you know, just attitude or, you know, us having tempers or whatever. It's like, no, you adults really need to listen. And that can just simply listening
0: can just help a lot of problems. I'd like to, to go right back at you, Noah, on that. Because you talk about listening. And I think for some adults, there might be a gap on what it means to listen. You know, I think there's a lot of folks out there who see, especially when you feel like you might be in a place of authority, of listening as, as a solution generating tool, right? And I think often when we bring problems to adults, we don't always want solutions. I think we just want folks to to listen to us and, and to say, hey, look, I get it and I understand. So do you feel like that as an adult, do you think they should always look to provide these solutions? Or do you think that sometimes it's better just to just to absorb it and kind of put yourself in their shoes and maybe just kind of like, you know, take the rant and not always jump to the idea that maybe let's fix the problem, let's find the solution. All right, so first I have to say,
1: I appreciate you for like contrasting that. And honestly, I have to say that it could be a mix of both. Like, yes, they, you know, listen and, you know, at least attempt to help the issue. But at the same time, if they don't have a way to help even simply just absorbing the information that the youth is telling them can provide a small amount of relief for whoever's talking about their issues. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I think adults listening just makes the dip- biggest difference. And instead of just shooting down the idea right away, just listening and asking the youth advocate what they need in that moment, I think that makes a big difference. Because, like Santino said, sometimes We just want people to listen. Sometimes we don't need a solution right in that second. Sometimes we just need a rant and get it out. And so I think asking one what the youth leader needs or what the youth just needs in that moment and seeing how to go and how to stir the conversation from there. I also think another really big important part as adults is empowering the youth. I cannot tell you enough how many times where I just felt defeated and I was just like, I like I can't speak on this. And then just having those positive adult influences where they're like, no, keep going. And like, I think I've been very, very blessed to have positive adults in my life. And for any like teenager out there struggling who doesn't have that, I think a really big thing is remembering your whys and remembering why you're using your voice. And Anytime you feel scared, like you can't use your voice, just like telling yourself in your back of your head, like, I'm doing this for this reason, and this is why I need to be doing it.
0: I think that that's a great point, Viv, about making sure that we're all, well, we feel empowered and that we have, you know, that, that confidence to keep going. And I'd like to go back at you as well on that question of how can our adult allies maybe hold other adults accountable from a teen leader perspective? You know, I think to, to make sure that that the positive influences aren't always being, drowned out by negative ones.
2: Yes, for sure. I think as adults, they can talk to other adults and talk about how they support the youth and maybe comparing ways and maybe getting ideas off of each other on how to better support the youth. I know at TCFB, we were very, very thankful to have three amazing leaders and they just had like the best ways of connecting with us. And I think what made them so amazing is that they were always so clear with their communication and i think they were really just very educated on how to be there for the youth and i think by those adults who have that knowledge by spreading their knowledge can make a big big difference in our community
0: so kind of asking that question out you know we we speak on you know sharing that knowledge and spreading that knowledge mentorship from adults can be such a, a big part in what makes student leaders Leaders and what makes them really kind of go from from the start to beginning without you know not we're not talking about you know this overbearing kind of situation but what we're talking about is real mentorship right so as as two young professionals especially working in TCFB and you mentioned has some great adults do you guys have any adult advocate mentors that I think you kind of think of that maybe when you were starting out really people who really did inspire you it doesn't even have to be you know people you know but just any kind of person who really kind of inspired you. To, to start that step and, and really put that confidence in you and, you know, and that, that kind of rings in the back of your mind as a tool for empowerment. I did say that I have had a mentor for a while that led me into this
1: kind of field. And I had to say that that'd be my, my mom, you know, she's an executive director for women's shelter and she's been in the field of social work for gosh, I don't know how long, but you know, when I was, old enough to know about domestic violence and teen dating violence and such, I, that kind of stuck with me. You know, I learned about those issues and like my mom, I want to take after her. I want to help people in any way I can. And she's been one of my main mentors on teaching me how to handle issues and, you know, how to help people. But she doesn't do it in a sense of like, how do I say it? like doing it for me, like she gives me the advice and gives me the tools so I can do it, you know?
2: Yes, for sure. I think my mentors have probably been a mix of people, but my main one, I would definitely say would be my therapist. My therapist, whenever we first met, I did not have a voice. I was very, I was probably the complete opposite of what I am now. And I think she's been probably one of the best humans to empower me. And she kind of reminds me of what I will be like in a couple of years. She's very fierce. She can't like, we always joke about how stubborn we both are. And I think whenever I think of advocacy, I think of her because she fights for her clients like no other therapist I know. Like She will go to the very end to fight for her clients, fight for herself, like She's one of the strongest women I know. And whenever I think of my advocacy work and whenever I do feel a little scared to speak on something, I always like think of her and think of like this wonderful, empowered woman that I want to be one day and that I can be. And so also along with her, I actually used to be in a youth group. And I think all of them, all the teenagers in that in there also really inspired my advocacy work and Seeing how strong these individuals were, like I said, the butterfly effect, it really encouraged me to use my voice and to speak up. So I think I've been blessed to have some very, very, very great mentors in my life.
0: And thinking about those mentors, you know, they kind of brought you up from where you are now. And in the sense that they saw you in, in this infancy and really got to see your progression, where did you guys get your start? If you think about it like that, you know, way back when when you first, you know, where can. And, and I say this to kind of give an antidote to this idea of, you know, for a lot of young kids, especially with something as, as large as teen dating violence, it can be hard for, for people who want to make a difference really to know where to begin. And if you want to know how to begin, you know, whether you're a youth leader, which is you know youth advocacy and engagement, or if you're an adult who maybe wants to try to engage their youth or engage their community, where are some of the best places to begin kind of looking at your own experiences? I'd love to hear about those, as well as just some general advice for those out there.
1: Honestly, I'd say for adults who want to gain the field of advocating or simply just talk about these kind of subjects, I really recommend reaching out to local resources such as shelters if the towns have them and simply locating advocates in their local area. And, you know, the same to youth. I mean, school counselors, they they're equipped with most of this subject. So honestly, that'd be the best place to look in my opinion.
2: Yes, I completely agree with Noah. My youth advocacy started actually started locally here in Montgomery County. It was through a school presentation. The local organization came and they did a presentation and I learned all about them and I just loved their message. And that's how I got involved. I went to a couple groups and then I found out more groups. And then actually through them is how I found out about TCFB. So I would say start locally, whether that's just Googling like resources near me or if that's going to your school counselor or going to the adults in your life, I would definitely say start locally.
0: And we've talked about schools a little bit on that start locally thing. And I think, you know, we've hit the little topics of engaging youth, you know, engaging adults and, and the role that adults and our peers play. But I guess in your opinion, you know, you've all shared stories about either at a therapist, or at a school, or engaging these local communities, what role do our institutions play in promoting youth leadership as well? And I think that's, you know, I think our institutions, especially in smaller counties, can play a big role in the development of young people. And so I just kind of speaking to, uh, to both of you, what role do you see that our institutions like our schools need to be taking to help not just promote advocacy, but to promote, maybe to promote youth leaders of things of, you know, these great importance like teen dating violence?
1: I see how our local institutions can start helping is providing programs, like working with local agencies to bring these topics into the air, in a sense, like provide guidance, provide resources, provide just anything in order to help the youth learn and understand and also teach them so they can teach others.
2: I definitely agree. I think by just schools and other places around like providing these resources of where to find help and how you can get involved, I think that would make the biggest difference in our youth lives.
0: As youth leaders, what do you think is has more, I guess, influence in, in the upbringing? Like, do you think that the parents have an active role as well? Or do you think that these institutions are, are what's going to be predominantly at effect or maybe a bit of both equally? i would kind of just, you know, this idea that there's so many things that, that tug and pull on youth leaders. Where do you see, you know, this, this thing of do we hit This parents versus the institutions? And, and how do you see that give and take? In my personal opinion, I believe both
1: play an important role in this. Mostly the parents. As they say, it all starts at home. But they say that about negative stuff. It needs to start being about positive stuff, you know. These conversations need to be talked about as well as, you know, in home and in school. So parents can start talking to their children about this, you know, about teen dating violence, domestic violence and such. But at the same time, schools also need to provide a little education in a sense.
2: Yes, for sure. I think there's a lot to that. One, I think it all depends on the family, because I feel like some people aren't fortunate to have those good parents and some parents unintentionally don't know what healthy love is. And some of these teens are in houses where these very unhealthy relationships are being shown. And so I think that is also why it's so important for schools to give resources because not everyone has that accessibility to parents who have resources for them and can have these conversations with them. And I think some parents may, and I think it also comes with different households and what they were taught growing up. And so they might have these ideas of what love is, and then it gets passed down to the kid. So I think for sure, if a parent is in a healthy position, then yes, they should be educating their kid. And yes, they should be having these conversations with them. But sometimes that isn't always the case. And I think that's where it's really important for schools to be dialing in on this, because Not every child is taught this and not every teenager has these resources at home. So I think both do play such an important role and both are so, so important to teenagers and to kids. But in certain cases where the parents aren't there in that way, then I think school is their number one resources. And that's why our schools should be teaching these things.
0: And I think just bouncing off that, there's there's a case to be made that maybe at certain schools, offering programs maybe after school for parents you know taking that kind of secondary education role and bringing in parents because you know the goal is is we want to create a society that can ferment young leadership as well and like you say not everyone you know may be fortunate enough but the idea you know kind of going around is we want to eventually get to that point point. and you know when you have things like teen dating violence you know even one case is one case too many and that all starts down with education and it can really be made very beneficial at places like school or even you know through parental leadership, there's all these factors that kind of tug and, and pull for youth leaders. As we start to wind down, I'd like to do a couple more things, which is one, you know, as, as folks who work for TCFE, what has been, you know, not just thinking about challenges and obstacles, but what has been your proudest moment as a youth leader? <laughs> Honestly, the one moment I've
1: had that sense of real pride and accomplishment is, I suppose, when it was after the Capitol Day that we hosted and had speeches at that. I was able to give some resources to my high school counselor, and she showed like my speech to a cluster of students and teachers. And honestly, that kind of gave me a sense of pride. Because afterwards, she told me that more people stepped up and told her what was going on. Like, people were felt comfortable enough to, like, speak up about their issues and finally talk to someone about it. So I felt accomplished at that point.
2: Ah, I'm so proud of you, Noah, and you should feel proud. And you too, Santina. There's been so many amazing moments I've witnessed of both of y'all throughout our journey together. And I just want it to be um, that I am so, so proud of both of y'all. I think my proudest moment as a youth advocate was actually during our TCFV event at the Capitol Day two Valentine's ago. That was like the first time I had really shared my story in a big, like in front of a big group of people. And I remember like right beforehand talking to our adults on our team and kind of being nervous and they were so supportive. And they're like, you know, like if at any moment you you like, you don't feel like you're good to do it anymore. Like, it's okay. Like we can take over. And if you were there for the speech, then, you know, it was pretty emotional. And so afterwards, like knowing that I got through it, I was like, wow, I'm so proud of myself. Like I just did that. And then also after, like, after we were done and we were wrapping up and we were cleaning up and stuff, I had a couple like teens come up to me and they were like, wow, like you really just inspired me to share my story and like realizing. And I think also in that moment, I realized that my story did matter and that it does leave impacts on people and that I can be the person to give that butterfly effect. So I think that will probably forever be like the proudest moment that I had as an advocate.
0: And isn't that a great thing to to kind of hear at the end of it is that, you know, my story does matter and it does make impacts. And that's what we try to do as youth leaders is, and that's the best you can hope for is that your story makes the impact and regardless of how you feel, it does matter and your story always will. So I want to thank you both and you know, and Viv for, for coming on and having this kind of conversation with me. You both are some phenomenal youth leaders and I've gotten to work with both of you and it's, it's been amazing to be able to talk about something that's so important, especially now as Things are moving digital and, and young people more than ever, I would say, are starting to find this sense of advocacy and engagement. And when we're talking about topics like teen evading violence, you know, the moment's now. And, and there's not, not too long to wait. So everyone really needs to, if they can, to step up and, and use their voice or whatever tools they have to make that impact, small, large, in their communities. So, like I said, I just want to thank you all for joining on this, uh, the teen takeover edition of Down the Rabbit Hole. Can I ask you a question real uh, quick? For sure. What's your proudest moment? Oof! All right, I I think my proudest moment—it always will go back to that Capitol Day with that crowd there and getting to speak to them. I was so—I felt so young at that moment, and I remember feeling very just unready and nervous, and I was was threatened up until the very moment I took the stage. And then I just remember that that when I got on the microphone, I felt that incredible sense of calm, and it was that moment when I realized that you know what I was doing is bigger than me. The words I was saying aren't just text on a page, and it's a lot more than maybe even my story. It's not just you know the story of me. It's it's, it brought into the story of us, right? And and Viv, I know when y'all talk and even in those interpersonal conversations, right? It's that moment that you realize that you're doing this for for cause that's greater than you, greater. And and as a 17 year old, that's a heavy concept that I was facing with. But it was it was that serene sense of calm. And at the end of it, I just felt incredibly proud to be a part of it, incredibly fortunate to be a part of it, and uh, eager to go out and inspire others. I think.
2: Yes. I absolutely love that. And I'm so thankful to have gotten to work with all of you. And to end us off, I just want to say, if you're looking for a sign to keep going, to use your voice, here it is. Your voice matters and you can make a difference because us youth leaders, we are the difference that this world needs. I know times make it really, really tough. And sometimes you may feel like you can't use your voice and you may feel like you're silenced but just know that we are all waiting for you and we are ready to hear your story whenever you are ready. There is hope and things do get better. No matter what you're going through, please always remember that there are resources available to help you. With that being said, thank y'all so much for listening to this episode and until next time.